Welcome to One Haas, a podcast devoted to bringing the Haas community closer together through your stories. I'm your host, Sean Lee, and my mission is to help open our eyes to the network we never knew we had. Today, I'm joined by Jason Shu of the EW MBA 2019 program. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Sean. Glad to be here. So I met Jason about a couple weeks back, probably three weeks back at a UCLA Anderson and Berkeley Haas part-time program mixer at Nate Pollock, who was on the podcast as restaurant, American Grilled Cheese, amazing restaurant, amazing food. And Jason, I hit it off because you are an entrepreneur yourself. Correct. A current entrepreneur, struggling, but trying to make it. <laughs> but before we go there, <laughs> let's get a background of where you're from and your past. Sure. It's hard for me to explain where I'm from because I've grown up in many areas, some in Taiwan, mm-hmm. and some part of in the U.S. And then within U.S., I moved around for a bit as well. Just to give you a little perspective, my parents are both Taiwanese. They came to the U.S. when they were doing their graduate degree. And not only did they got their graduate degree, they also got myself and my older sister conceived along with their diplomas. (laughs) (laughs) So kudos to them. So I was born in Boston, but shortly after my birth, my dad got a faculty position back in Taiwan. So we moved back. I see. Uh, So I never had the chance to really... I learned English at a young age, and for my first year to almost high school was through the Taiwanese public school system. Mm-hmm. My aunt and uncle were living in Ohio, and my parents were thinking it would be a good chance for me to really learn English since I'm an American citizen at a young enough age that I could develop proficiency in the language. Right, right. Uh, so I moved uh, out to Ohio to live with my aunt and uncle. Uh, so I did that through high school, and then went to Ohio State. And then right after college, uh, I got a job with Texas Instruments. Oh, nice. And that was in Dallas, Texas. And then within my career in Texas Instruments, I was an expat in Taiwan for a year, and then rotated through a couple of different areas till I joined the Texas Instrument acquisition out in California. Okay. Sorry, just uh, step back a little bit. What did you study at Ohio State? Uh, I was a double E, uh, electrical engineering. And what was your position at Texas Instrument? Did you work on my calculator? I did not. My TI. (laughs) (laughs) So Texas Instrument is a semiconductor dominant business. Only 4% of the revenue comes from calculators. (laughs) I didn't know that. Really? Yeah. Wow. Which is an amazing business if you think about it because the calculators haven't involved in 30 years. Yeah. But they still charge the same price. Yeah. (laughs) Whereas the iPhone of last year is already half price this year. Wow. Right. So you were double E in the semiconductor industry. I guess, what were the things, the products that you worked on? So automotive semiconductors. I see. What what are automotive semiconductors? In the car, there's, I would say, maybe thousands of electronics nowadays. Mm -hmm. And it is projected to grow by 20 times within the next five years. Wow. So these are sensors. These are little computers that fine-tunes your anti-lock brake system, make sure they don't lock. These are fuel injection sensors to make sure you're injecting the right amount of fuels. These could also be touch sensors for that dashboard display that you see in Tesla Model 3 or Model S. I see. So those are the automotive semiconductors. 
Was there any component or any area that you worked on specifically? Like you focused just on anti-lock breaking or? Yeah, yeah. So I was fortunate enough to really work on one of the hottest area within the automotive semiconductor, which is the advanced driver assist systems, short name called ADAS. These could be like rear view cameras or surround view cameras to monitor other vehicles or pedestrians. Mm. And you get 360 real-time view of uh, the objects around your vehicle. I see. I'm curious because part of every electronic, I guess, is part hardware and part software. Did Texas Instruments or whatever projects that you worked on touch both sides, the hardware and the software, or were you just focused on the hardware component? Yeah, so mostly I would say the products I worked on are still very much on the hardware level. That's fascinating. No, it's, I just realized how little knowledge I have about um, the development of even these proximity sensors. Of course, yes. And I use it all the time in my car. <laughs> yeah, somebody got to build them. <laughs> yeah, I just never thought, you know, who, who's building this stuff and how are they building it? Exactly. Well, that's, that's me. That's fascinating. So because of that role, is that how you made the shift to Lyft? Uh, that's definitely, I think, one of the added advantage of transitioning from just a purely hardware type of role into the next phase of the mobility transformation. So Lyft itself is a, I would say, a ride-sharing company, but obviously they're realizing that autonomous vehicle may occur within the next five to 10 years. Right. And that could significantly impact their core business. So they started a autonomous vehicle division. I see. And within the autonomous vehicle hardware architecture, advanced driver assist system is definitely a big part of it. So that's kind of the transition where I am today. So having had all this experience, what made you decide to come get an MBA? Well, I've always wanted to start my own business. Mm -hmm. And I remember I was very clueless about how exactly... Do I pick an idea and transform that idea into something realistic? Right. In a corporate world or in a job, usually you have some directive. So you already know, okay, these are the things I'm going to be working on. Right. And whether it's real or not, you made it. And whether people want it or not, that's a different <laughs> thing. Right. right. <laughs> so I, I really was intrigued by this idea of trying to make something and see if really people want to use it or not. Did you have any ideas back then? I have quite a few ideas all the time. I used to carry around a notebook that draws down some of the ideas I have, even though I have no idea how to implement them. Right. But I'll be like, oh, yeah, that seems like a problem that needs fixing. That's uh, what I was going to ask you, how you come up with these ideas. <laughs> because when people tell me they want to become an entrepreneur, right, I bucket them into two groups. One side is just, I just want to be an entrepreneur because I want to make money. And I tell those people to go back to the drawing board, right? And then the other bucket of people are just actively looking for problems to solve, which is what entrepreneurship or any business is really about. Yeah. A lot of times I'm just like, wow, there's got to be a better way to do this. This yeah. is so stupid. Yeah. Uh, I can't believe somebody haven't fixed it yet. Yeah. But throughout your time here at Haas, what programs or clubs or people even have you found to be helpful to teach you entrepreneurship or how to start a business? Yeah, that's a great question. I think, unfortunately, being a part-time student, I wasn't able to do a lot of clubs. Right. But a lot of my classmates are really my inspiration that I met through just going to class. Mm -hmm. They, some of them have started their own business. 
Some of them were quite successful in doing so, and some of them maybe even transitioned to a different side of things or more like financing. And these classmates actually are my best resources. Yeah. Yeah. I guess what ultimately helped you take the leap? Because many times it's that first step, right? So there's definitely multiple factors because even though I have a notebook of ideas, a lot of them are not practical, at least in terms of the project scope. Mm. Uh, some of them were like trying to see if we can create a mosquito containing trap mm-hmm. uh, because the current ones actually don't work very well. Mm. Uh, and matter of fact, the science behind it is erroneous as well. <laughs> the one with the lights, they right. don't work. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, it just happened to me that one of my friends at TI had this idea of, hey, let's make a caffeinated chewing gum. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, the scope of the project seems doable right. within a given time frame and my effort. That I could still hold a job for a little bit. And the real push, I would say, it really is a mental thing to see that people just like myself have done it before. Gave me the confidence to say, okay, let's go ahead and incorporate the LLC. Uh, let's go and contact the vendors. Mm-hmm. Let's go and do these surveys and, and let's just try to launch a product. Right. Yeah. How long was this initial process? What'd you say? So I would say from the time that the idea was brought up to actually engaging the vendors, we spent a good three to four months on validating the idea. Mm-hmm. Even though the idea of putting caffeine into a chewing gum format is very enticing. I was under the notion that most good ideas, if you Google them, are on there already. Right. In which they are. Yeah. And then what intrigued me further is, well, how come nobody knew about this? Right. It must be something wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I want to validate that thesis before actually dedicating more time and my own money into this project. How much time do you spend validating the thesis and how did you go about it? Well, the first thing to go about it is really just to buy all the competitors' products mm-hmm. and taste them and yeah. try them out. See if there's actually something good about them. If they're really successful, then the question becomes, what are they doing wrong? Because I'm not seeing them in the supermarket. Right. Well, it turns out we bought all of them. We tried them. They all tasted terrible. Uh, I was like, okay, well, that makes sense. And that's why the supermarkets won't carry them. Yeah. <laughs> in terms of time, I would say, well, every night after I came back to work, I would spend a good two to three hours on it. That went on for a couple months. Hmm. So obviously... I always want to do more, right. but at some point I was like, this is, uh, this is good enough. We've tried all the samples. They all tasted terrible. Yeah. And they're all using very similar form factor and formulations. Right. Uh, something must be wrong there and that we can improve on right. and make the taste a lot better. I think you guys definitely did the right things, took the right steps and at least validating the idea before reaching out to the vendors and, and saying, hey, we're going to do this, right? And it wasn't that much time and it wasn't that little either. I know you say that you all wish that you know you took more time, but... Well, yeah, yeah at some yeah, point then, you gotta... Then, then you become a researcher and not yes, an entrepreneur, exactly. so... <laughs> exactly. At some point, you have to make the call saying, okay, well, is this viable enough? Yeah. Or do I believe in it enough right. to do it? And I would say three parts to the research that we did. Mm-hmm. So one is trying out the competitor's product. Second is just general survey. Right. people to see how that idea sounded them. And third one is actually we went to a store and we asked their managers say, hey, can I get a competitor's product? Mm-hmm. 
It turns out, even though on the website listed they were available, they were no longer carrying them. I guess we never even covered this. What is the name of your product and what's the website? Sure. So we can check it out. Yeah. So come check us out at www.akafresh.com. Product name is just called AKA Caffeinated Chewing Gum. Mm. And each piece of gum contains the same amount of caffeine as a single shot espresso. Oh, wow. So if you need more, you can take two. <laughs> There's double shot right there. That's awesome. Thank you. Anything, uh, anything else you want to share about the business or kind of your journey? I would say this is a continuing journey. And I have some bad news to share uh, because one of my partner uh, is moving for family reason. And he's moving away from the Bay Area to Seattle. Hmm. Uh, he's decided that he's going to leave the company. Right. Uh, so that means uh, I get to do totally everything now. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah. And then on top of work and then the business and school, I think I'm, I'm definitely at a time in the stage where I'm very, very swamped. Right. Yeah. I mean, have you thought to seek out um, new partners? I have definitely think so. But I really want to take some time, maybe a day or two, just think through what are the criteria I'm looking for, right? Right, and how would this person help me get to the next stage? Right, right. And, and what, like, what skill sets you have, and what uh, complementary skill sets you need? Correct. Right. And really think about where my bottleneck is right now. Mm. What am I doing wrong? What are the actions I need to take to address those things? I see. Let's switch gears a little bit and talk about your plans in general. Uh, what you're thinking about, you know, um, right after Haas. Sure. You know, Lyft obviously just IPO'd. Congratulations to your company. Thank you. So I would say my, my long-term goal is to really be able to have a successful and sustaining business. Mm. I find myself as a person who can't really sit down. I'm always looking for stuff to do. That's great. I think that would continue to be a part of my life. And also, being in the tech industry and then now joining a startup or whatever Lyft is, uh, really give me a good perspective on how the industry is moving so quickly. Right. And that this is really touching me to my heart is that, yes, there is material problems, like you can't get your caffeine fast enough mm -hmm. or easy enough. Those mm -hmm. are material problems. But there's also structural problems. For example, these people who were able to afford an education in AI and computer science are set up for success. Whereas their peers who have no access to those opportunities are set up for failure going forward. Mm. Hopefully, one of these days, I could contribute some of my energy to solve that problem. Absolutely. Is there anything about your Haas experience that you would sure. have done differently? Well, I'm a very greedy person. I would always say I want to do more things. Right. Whether I would do them differently or not, that's hard to say. I wished I've done more things. Well, you still have time. Exactly. So, I, <laughs> so there's no regret right there because I'm still in school. That's great. <laughs> but yeah, like definitely the clubs, uh, some of the lean launch pads, some of the courses, they're more geared toward entrepreneurship. And not just that, the, the faculties are definitely some of these resources that I want to utilize. Well, that's part of the reason why I want to ask this question because now you have time to go seek these things out. Yes, yeah, exactly. 
Uh, yes, so that's definitely let's take it back to that plan in, in the long term plan. Uh, the, those are kind of the aspirations. In the short term plan, is mm-hmm. obviously to utilize better of the resources here at Haas, and whether that requires me to take some life changes, maybe uh, we don't know. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast, Jason. Well, thanks a lot, Sean. Thank you for tuning in today. My aim is to bring the Haas community closer together through your stories. We're always looking for Hasis willing to share their stories and experiences so that we can give you more insights into the different programs, different careers, and ultimately different perspectives. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please feel free to email me for suggestions on how I can improve this podcast, or if you have any recommendations on people or content you'd like to hear. My email is reachshawn at berkeley.edu. That's spelled R-E-A-C-H-S-E-A-N at berkeley.edu. 